welcome to the Gathering Place Church weekly podcast. We hope today's message ignites, equips, and challenges you to live out your Christian faith and to bring healing to a broken world. Well, I think in light of the series being on breathing room, we should all take a deep breath real quick. So can we do that? Breathe in and breathe out. Some of y'all do this on a regular basis and you're like, oh, this is just a normal day for me. You know, I've come to find with kids, especially in, with interruptions, is kids know how to interrupt you. And when kids interrupt you, usually they catch you off guard. You're not expecting it. You know, you're, maybe you're not emotionally dialed in to where you handle it correctly. And I've come to find with kids, a lot of the times when you're interrupted, it usually leads you to a place of where then you need to be repentive. And um, with the fourth baby on the way, you know, every Sunday, we don't know if we're going to be here or not, but we are here. So if you can pray for us under your breath while I'm preaching that we can go right to the hospital after church and have this baby, we would be very grateful. No, I'm not. You're laughing. I'm crying on the inside. <laughs> so as we think of breathing room, as we transition here, we're talking about sacred rhythms. And in these sacred rhythms, they should position ourselves for spiritual transformation. And as I've said is you look at the landscape of your Christian walk and your walk with Jesus. Many times it's the result of how you were formed. And as we live in a space, as we live in churches, as we live within Western Christianity, there's multiple definitions for everything. There's all different ways of how we think we get here and do this and do that and what's right and what's wrong, what's evil and what's good. And this is why we have to understand, especially as ministers of the gospel, is we are not God's, um, we don't change what the word says, but we preach it to the way it's supposed to. And where you get in trouble is when you begin slicing things off and you begin trying to find the scripture to justify the sin you're in, yet you find the scripture to judge the person who's in a sin that you don't struggle with. We could go down the line of why we do what we do and how we build the habits that we do. But the things I've come to find is of what have been a lost art is how we get to a place of making solitude, simplicity, Sabbath, and slowing down a normal part of your life. Solitude, simplicity, Sabbath, and slowing down to where you can have breathing room to think deeply on the scriptures, to wrestle with the scriptures, to build and form your life and your family's life, not based off just survival mode or you've got to get there quick or you just got to get up and make things happen, but where you actually ponder, you meditate, you think on, you wrestle with that which is most important for your life. And if you think of it, hurry can be one of the greatest threats to your walk with God. You're always in a rush. You know, I begin to think is... All through um, kind of being a pastor, and this is just what we say to each other, is, uh, and I think we've all been, been there, but we say things like, someone asks you how you're doing, and what do we reply? I'm busy. And it gets even worse, and this has been said to me, 
And it's like, ah, oh, hopefully they're just saying that they don't mean it. But they don't even ask you how they're doing. They start off and they say, I know you're busy, but, right? And they just, they just start with busyness. And I think if we're not careful, we can hide behind busyness. We can use busyness as a crutch. But as I said, just because you're busy doesn't mean you're blessed. But when you are blessed, you can be busy. It's just what are you being busy with? Jesus was busy. Jesus moved. Jesus went from place to place. But he did it in a rhythm that protected the solitude and and protected those sacred rhythms. And if we think of this hard truth, hurry has the ability to sabotage our capacity to love correctly and to love fully. And we don't want to allow worry and hurry and doubt and unbelief, these, these things to sabotage for us to love the way Jesus teaches us to love. When we think of um, being overwhelmed or overloaded, overdrived, overworked, maybe this describes some of your work life or your parenting or just your life in general where you, uh, it's a part of your normal experience. You're overworked, you're overloaded, overdrived. And this is, you just learn to live in this and you learn to exist in it. And this is where as we get today, I want to specifically talk about how to add what's known as margin uh, in your life. And margin is simply this, if you put this on the screen, if you're taking notes, you can write this down. But margin is putting space between your limit and your load. Putting space between your limit and your load. And if we look at the way our lives, our work schedules, the way we parent, the way we live, we don't live with any space between that which our limit is and that which our load is. You hear everything from self-help gurus to all of these self-help books to how you move forward, how you break out of boxes in your life, and many of them will sound like break the limits off. And now, I understand there's certain limits like laziness. You don't need to be lazy. But if we're not careful, we always think we're invincible and there's no limit that we shouldn't listen to. But as a human being, not a human doing, as a human being, you are not a machine. You have 24 hours a day. You are a, um, you have life in you, you aren't coded, and you can't think that if I push through every limit that there's not a consequence on the other side. You even look, you can get, if you were to really get into it, you can look into all the studies and statistics of even with the creation of electricity and the light bulb and the way that we can artificially stay up longer and entertain ourselves and and um, numb ourselves and we don't listen to our body clock because when the lights go up, when the sun goes down, we can turn the lights on and kind of manipulate our time to stay up longer. You look at the statistics that we get less sleep than that of, of what would be my grandparents or great grandparents did because we can stay up longer. And I, I, I find this funny and I, I saw this as, as parents, we cram all all of our adult life when our kids go down and the two hours we have when the kids go down and we crash. It's, that's the time you kind of have your me time or your free time when the kids are down and, and, and you know, you, you catch up on everything if you're even lucky to. But when we think of it, we hear all the time that sin is missing the mark. Sin is missing the mark. And sometimes we just stay there, but we gotta ask ourselves, what is the mark that we're missing? What are we missing when sin breaks relationship or breaks the mark? and it's union, and it's communion with God. And if we think of that sin is missing the mark, and 
the mark that's broken is communion and union with him, relationship with Jesus, that anything that breaks that can be a place of sin in our lives. And so we've got to take it as serious as we fight off the big sins that we know. I think we just get accustomed to being so busy and hurried that we don't silence ourselves. We don't focus on our inner life as long as we're producing. Then what's on the inside really doesn't matter. And if we're not careful, you will get overloaded, you will get overwhelmed, and you will be overdrived and overworked, and it will chronically ruin your life. Margin sounds like this. It's having breath at the, stop of the, at the top of the staircase. Can we start there? You're not out of breath when you get up the steps. Um, it's money at the end of the month, praise Jesus. It's grandma being able to take the baby for the afternoon so you can catch your breath. It's having friends around you that can help carry the burden. Marginless is not having enough time to finish the book you're reading on stress. Right? We don't have margin there. Margin is having space in your life and in your schedule. And again, it's having space between that which your limit is and that which your load is. Two things happen if you don't add margin in your life. Your stress level will go up and your relational intimacy will go down. Relationships take time. Relationships take work. They don't come easy. They don't come quick. And if you are so stressed, what will happen is you will become a superficial and a shallow person in the relationships around you because there's always something on your mind. You're always ticking and thinking, and you've got to produce. You've got to make enough to make it by the end of the month. And your relationships are that which suffer. Researchers will agree to this, that man has limited capacity. And two, that overloads always lead to serious breakdowns. You think of of a, a pickup truck. It has a payload on it. And the minute you exceed that payload, your risk for danger, for uh, uh, damage goes way up. The reason they have the payload on it, because you're in the safety zone if you don't exceed the payload. I even read this about camels as I was, did you hear the straw that breaks the camel's back? It says that camels can carry up to 900 pounds a day for 25 miles. But the minute you exceed, again, the straw that breaks his back, the minute you exceed the capacity of the camel, the camel's back breaks and is completely useless. And I think we live in a place, as long as we can carry the 900 pounds for 25 miles a day, we're okay. But many of us don't know where that straw that then goes on and breaks the back because it's really not the straw that does. It's all the overloading you've put on it that does. So we don't want to allow overload to lead to burnout. And again, it's the analogy of the tree. In the storm, if the tree bends, it can bounce back. But the minute it breaks, it's done. So we've got to develop these rhythms where we can bend, we can bounce back, we can be resilient but not allow the loads to lead us to a place of where we break. I've come to find this as well, is that free time, we all want free time and we all want to have free time, Um, but many times when we have free time, we don't know what to do with it. So we cause drama to stir up and get out of the free time because it's weird. We don't know what to do when we have to sit in ourselves in a room by ourselves with our phones turned off. Some uh, Some of you, that's your greatest nightmare. But free time is not a problem to solve, but it is a virtue to protect. This should be a place in God's house, we're gonna talk about this in a minute, that is rest for you. Rest is not binging on Netflix. 
Rest is not gorging yourself with your favorite Ben and Jerry's ice cream. Now, these are aspects, and I'm not saying, you know, but rest, biblically, is you're resting in a person, and his name is Jesus. You're resting with purpose. And this should be a place of rest where your, your soul is being fed. You're hearing stories of miracles like Rosie. You're coming to church, and you're worshiping, and you're, and you're being reminded that Jesus is the best medicine you will ever have and you will ever need. So we've got to keep breathing room, because when we keep breathing room, guess what? You make yourself available to God, and you make yourself available to your family, to those closest to you. Without breathing room, you're unavailable, you're always busy. You might be there, but guess what? You're not there. Your body's there, but your mind's not there. Some of you, even during this message, you're sitting in church, but you're thinking about the contract that has to be signed, what's required of you on Monday. Am I going to get a text that such and such is going to call off and I've got to respond? This is things we've got to think through. You've got to guard and protect your places of rest. You know, is, before I get into three practical things quickly, we've got to understand that... Um, before you get into the practical, before you deal with the symptom, you have to deal with the root. Yes. And the root is spiritual. Just like you and I today, we are spirits in a body. We are souls in a body. And as we are souls in a body, there is a whole another dimension, the spirit realm that exists. And out of the spirit realm came the, came the earth, came creation. And so the same is with us that there's always a spirit, good or bad. It's either the Holy Spirit or unclean evil spirits that motivate these things. And you and I, we want to be filled with the Holy Spirit in our time, not entertaining unclean or evil spirits with our time. So you could look at this, and this is what would be known, and Pastor Joyce would teach on this, is, is a spirit of python. Now we, four years ago, we had Reptile Rick. If you know anything about Reptile Rick, you need to look him up, your life will change. We had Reptile Rick come to ZCA for a chapel. And it was here in the sanctuary, and he would bring all these different reptiles, and it would lead up to the big reveal of a Burmese python. And this thing would be epic. Kim, you remember this when we had this python in here. And I mean, it would stretch from that end of the stage all the way to that end of the stage. And he pulls it out of this massive crate, and it's like, I got an okay stomach, but when I saw this thing, it's snakes are, I, I can't do it. Can't do it. And so he pulls this out, and it's like people who think snakes are pets, I just don't get you. <laughs> like, I have a little cockapoo, and that's a pet, but a Burmese python is a pet? No, we're, we're not, we're not going to connect, sorry. But he brings this thing out and gives kind of the explanations and the sizes and has all the, the teachers come up and hold this thing, and then we put a line, and all the kids get to come up and touch it and touch the skin. And, and the thing about these pythons is they're... Their goal is not um, to necessarily bite you, but it's to wrap itself around you and slowly pull the breath out of you. And these pythons, what they do is to uh, attack their prey, is when they have that hold around you, they are so sensitive and know that when you, and then you exhale, it catches when you go up and you lose a little bit of air and it grips just a little bit more. And, and slowly it just catches each breath and strangles you a little bit more and a little bit more until it has you and you can't breathe. And then once you pass out, it actually has the capability to swallow an entire human being. That's how big these things are. You can look them up. And I want you, I want you to know this about your enemy. Three ways the spirit of python can attack. Pythons can swallow their prey as a whole. 
Satan loves to put thoughts of hopelessness, despair, suicide to invite people to take their life. Suicide obviously is never a solution. We don't partner with the spirit of death to find peace. Jesus can set you free from tendencies as dark as suicide. Tendencies of place of I want to end it. Tendencies of hopelessness, darkness, and despair. Number two, Python will squeeze the breath out of its victim. The word breath in the scriptures represents the Holy Spirit in life. The devil wants to squeeze the life out of believers by using circumstances, overwhelming them with burdens of life, and we must breathe in God's word according to 2 Timothy 3.10, and we must breathe out prayers. We breathe in the word, the scriptures, and we breathe out worship and prayers. This is a good rhythm to defeat the spirit of Python, that you don't get overwhelmed and you don't allow Python to take your breath. This is interesting too. Python can lay eggs and incubate them until they hatch. The enemy loves to put eggs of doubt into people's minds. If doubt is not taken care of, it can hatch into unbelief. Doubt can become a sin if it leads you from God. Understand this about doubt versus unbelief too. Doubt has you questioning your faith. Unbelief is being determined, I'm not going to believe. Doubt is a struggle faced by the believer, but unbelief is the condition of the unbeliever. Doubt says, I don't believe, I need more proof. Unbelief says, I won't believe in spite of the proof. Doubt is honest, unbelief is stubborn. Doubt is looking for the light where unbelief is being content in the darkness. Doubt is born out of a troubled mind and a broken heart. Unbelief is an act of the will. This is the difference between we can doubt and we do. It's an emotion. But when we get to a place of unbelief, it's as though you're putting a line in the sand. You're not willing to study. You're not willing to investigate. You're not willing to pray. You're not willing to talk and reason and work through things together. Matthew 13, 22 says this. It says, now he who received seed among the thorns is he who hears the word. And the cares of this world, if you put this up, Allison, and the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word and become unfruitful. We don't want to be the seed that falls into the soil and the cares of life choke it out. I think this is how many of us live. And again, this is our experience is we're inspired or we're encouraged or we wrestle with truth and we come to a point of decision. We make the decision But because the cares of life are so big and overwhelming and we're overworked, that it then goes to choke it out. We talked about previously the importance of seed and soil and season, that we want to have the right soil, and the the house of God is the right soil. And being in the house of God, being in the word of God, then you have a seed. And what do you put into that soil? Because many times we put seeds of anger, bitterness, unbelief into the soil, but it cannot produce because it is the wrong seed and the soil will reject that seed. And then you get to where the season harvest makes it grow. And many of us, many times we think it's harvest time and we look at it and there's nothing to produce because we put the wrong seed, but it's the right soil. And when we see this here, it says that um, as you read on through it, that it makes you unfruitful. And when you plant a seed, it needs space to grow. And if you don't give yourself space to grow in the seedling phase, it will never catch on. The roots will never go deep, and weeds will take the space that you gave it because weeds grow just the same. And weeds steal the space of your soil. And the thing I've come to find is you can't put a rock in the ground and expect a mountain to grow. It's not the way it was designed. 
but you put a seed in the right environment, it has the potential to produce a forest. And what I've come to find, God's kingdom is presented as a seed, and it will supernaturally multiply itself if you give it the right soil. Here's what you need to get in your spirit today. God is in the business of doing more with less in every part of your life. For those of you that tithe, you, every time you bring your tithe to God's house, you are trusting him that he will do more with less, that he can do more with 90% than with you holding on to 100%. And I was thinking about this. We trust him in the tithe in that place, but do we trust him in the same with our time? Can we trust that giving God uh, what, giving God and saying you can do more with less? Maybe for some of you, you've got to ask off work to get to church, or you have to get up earlier to get and, and have a quiet time, or you've got to uh, rearrange some things in your life that may cause you a promotion. I don't know what it is or where it is, but the principle exists that God is in the business. He can do more with less. And if we live like this, then what we do is we open ourselves for the supernatural to enter into our natural, and he can do more with less. But we live so tight, and we live so on edge, and uh, we live in a place of where our income and our expenses collide every, every month or every week, and we never give God a chance to do more with less. And if you live like this, you're saying, God, I'm trusting you that you can bless my time as I give it to you as a sacrifice. And God wants to supernaturally do this. I love this proverb, Proverbs 10, 22, if you put this up. The blessing of the Lord makes one rich, and he adds no sorrow with it. The blessing I want on my life and on the church is one that he not adds sorrow with it. And again, we're not talking money and monetary, though that is involved in this, but it's blessing of peace, a blessing of joy, that when you trust God and, and, and keep him first, that he doesn't add sorrow when he puts blessing on your life, when he puts margin in your life. John 15, 2 says, every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. Pruning is uncomfortable. Pruning hurts. Pruning is not fun. But if you today can say, I'm willing to enter into the arena of the divine gardener to prune me, Jesus on the other side of his resurrection, if you didn't know this, he was mistaken by Mary as a gardener. And I think this speaks volumes of who Jesus is in his resurrected body, is he is a gardener in our lives. He is pruning us. He is making us healthy. He is making us whole. He is healing us. He is working on our minds. He is working on our hearts. And if you will allow the divine gardener to prune these vices off of you, to prune things that aren't, to prune things that are unfruitful, he wants to make you fruitful and it comes through pruning. God can do more with less. Breathing room can sound like this. With your mind, it's taking a day off work once a week. Two, money, it's by spending less than you make. We'll go Dave Ramsey on you there for a minute. <laughs> Number three is morality, not coming close to the edge. So your mind, your money, and your morality. If you get these three areas right, you can begin to see breathing room. You can begin to see biblical sacred rhythms that are working for you, not working against you. So number one, mind margin. You gotta take a day off. This is, again, very practical. Some of you, your schedule is work, 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 and then I collapse at a vacation. The way biblical the way scripture teaches us is you work 
6, and you rest 1. Now, you can get into all the theological nuances of, of um, when the Sabbath is, how the Sabbath should be. The thing I know, the Sabbath is a person, his name is Christ. Jesus is our Sabbath. And in our Sabbath, it's not so much about the day, but it's about that you take the day and you keep God first in the day and you intentionally rest on the day. And for a lot of you, Sunday is that day. It's about God and it's about family, that you're intentionally not working or you're intentionally guarding that time. And so you've got to take a day off. I love this. If we want God to order our steps, we must follow his order to stop. We pray, God, order my steps, direct my steps. But you've got to follow his order to stop, that you've got to take a day of rest. You've got to take a day to Sabbath. Proverbs 16, 9 says, a man plans his way, but the Lord directs his steps. If you want God to direct your steps, guess what? Rest is involved in that. All through Scripture, um, we see, especially in the Old Testament, we see the importance of Sabbath, and uh, Sabbath being the fourth commandment, it's actually the longest listed commandment, and you can see the importance of it, because without it, again, you, you won't be any good if you're showing up as your tired self, as your worn out self, as your unrested self, as your overloaded and overworked self. All, everything else just kind of, you open yourself up because you have nothing to give because you were so depleted. I like this. John Cromer says this. He says, the Sabbath is like a guerrilla warfare tactic. Resting is of that important. It's, it's a sense of warfare against a, just a producing, you're, you are what you work, you are what you bring to the table, that it's, it's warfare against that. Sabbath is an act of resistance. And when you think of resting as an act of resistance, you might think to guard it a little more deeper and a little more clearly and a little more fuller. I like this too. As we think of, um, of Sabbath, that it is a divine cycle, that it's something God's created. And I encourage you, to get into the scripture and study what it means and that you, you put a, a very, even if you've got to write it down, if you've got to talk it out, but you put these things in place to guard your rest and your Sabbath. And the, what I'm speaking to you today is things that I've struggled with of how you put these things into place and how you guard them. Um, and thankfully, uh, through all of it, God always provides when you say, God, I'm gonna trust you with this to make a way. And as we get into number two, money margin, spending less than you make. I also want to encourage you that as Christians, you should not be afraid to invest. You should not be afraid to take your active income and learn how to make it passive income. That we live in a, a, a system and an economy where you can have passive income, where you can, make, uh, you can make compensation and money when you're sleeping, not just when you're working your nine to five. Many of you, uh, you have 401ks. You have these things in place to prepare for your retirement. You invest in Wall Street or the stock market. And as Christians, we should not be afraid of these things. Now, we shouldn't be greedy. We shouldn't be in a place of where um, it consumes us and it, and it, and it gets into un, uh, a place of being unhealthy. But what you need to know is that in spending less than you make, the basics of incomes and expenses you then should understand there's power in investing what you make. 
and taking that which you work your nine to five and putting in something that can create passive streams because anymore you've got to have a side hustle to make it. Anybody there? Your pastor is. I'm bivocational. And um, a book that changed my life in understanding investing is Rich Dad, Poor Dad. And if you read that, it, it goes very basically through how you can take active streams and turn them into passive streams. And as Christians... The scriptures say he owns a cattle on a thousand hills, right? We understand that the gospel is not a prosperity gospel. We don't preach that here. We actually abhor it. But what we understand that there is prosperity in the Bible, and it has its right place. But many times we look as Christians, we want to confess, God, bring a check in the mail or, um, you know, help me find money. And we just get these really... Two o'clock in the morning, TBN televangelist telling us if we give this money, then God's going to do something on our behalf, if I'm just being honest. And we've got to be careful not to get so caught up in, I don't have to do anything to get anything. Because God gives you the ability to get wealth. He just doesn't slap wealth on you. He gives you the ability, and many times it looks like showing up and working and sweating getting a job. I think one of the, the most controversial words in 2023 is get a job, right? <laughs> but we've got to understand and we can't be afraid to go and work. And what I've found is I put my head down, trust God, try to live holy, do what God's called me to do, is that he will bring opportunities and you'll know when that opportunity is there. But understand that don't sell yourself short. Yes, spend less than you make. That is one way to create margin in your budget. Go through the Dave Ramsey principles, but don't be afraid of understanding how to invest and watch how God can accelerate things through that as well and get a plan in place for that. Blessings must have boundaries or they become burdens. The, your quality of life is not determined by the standard of life. Your quality of life and standard of life are two different things. We, we need to know this in creating margin and our money. Standard is a possession. Quality of life is relationship. Just because someone has a lot of possessions, has a lot of money, does not mean they have a quality of life. Right? You got more stuff, you have more insurance, and you got to work more jobs, and, and there's a whole other pathway that can happen there. And many times we just think if we can get more money or more stuff, then our quality of life will go up. And that's not true. Now, the two and two can go together if managed correctly. I'm not saying that. But what we need to know is we need to have it rightly ordered and understood. That just because we increase our standard of living doesn't mean we increase our quality of life. It has potential to increase debt, workload, and squeeze more life out of relationships in your life. I find this interesting in Genesis 7-7. You can See, when Noah gathers those that were to go on the ark, and he gathered, uh, uh, as you read into all the details, um, uh, seven pairs of clean animals and two pairs of unclean animals. And this really gives uh, uh, an understanding of these three principles, that there was some for preservation, some for food, and some for sacrifice. Genesis 6.20 shows it's for preservation, which we can understand as saving. Number two was for food, which we can understand as spending. And number three is sacrifice, as we can understand as giving. So even as early in, in the book of Genesis and biblical times, we see the, the resources that were available and how they were to be used. 
in the way God's design was. We see in Genesis 41, 34, it says, if you put this up, let Pharaoh do this and let him appoint officers over the land to collect one-fifth of the produce of the land in the seven plentiful years. Don't you love the story of Joseph, that he had wisdom and prudence in order to collect in times of plenty, so when times of famine, because time of famines always come, especially in an American economy, everything is cyclical. It's just, if you can time the market, then you would be a billionaire. Um, but everything is cyclical, so in times of plenty, wisdom, biblical wisdom will say store for times of famine. And we've always been a church that we want to thrive in times of famine. We want you to thrive in times of famine, in your money, in your mind, and in your relationships, in your morality, that just because times are tough, times are tight, doesn't mean that your life has to be, because you've served someone who is over that and who is bigger than that. So we see this all throughout scripture of the importance of storing, the preservation, the food, the sacrifice. And again, we make margin by one of two ways in your money. You either increase your income or you decrease your spending. That simple. Increase your income or decrease your spending, one of the two. If you can find the happy medium of both, again, practically speaking, this is a very practical message you can find good margin in your life. You can create space between your limit and your load. Number three, and I, and I close with this, and Corey, if you would help me, is morality margin. This is making space between you and sin. This isn't allowing, again, how close to the edge I can get and not call it sin. This is not how we're to live. I find this interesting. Uh, I heard this about Samson and Delilah. You know, the great judge, Samson. In Judges uh, 16.1, if you put this up, it says, now Samson went to Gaza and saw a harlot there. And it says he went into her. And so in Samson's sin with Delilah, uh, what this will come to find is the city of Gaza was several, I forget the exact mileage it was, but was several miles away from where he was. And the big idea here was, is that, um, someone timed out how many steps it would take for Samson to get to Gaza. And it was 56,250 steps. And many of us think that our sin is, or getting to the place of where we blow it or we fall into sin, that it's just one big moment of where it happens. But many times it looks like 56,250 steps prior and we just want to judge the one moment, but what was everything that was happening previously to get to where that point of sin was? So in creating space in that morality between your limit and your load, it's not just when you fall into it, it's what is your thinking? What is the wisdom you're listening to? Who's your friend circle? What decisions are you making? So that you don't ever take that step, that first step to where you fall into sin. It's not one big tragic step, it's many steps. Wrong decisions are preceded with multiple unwise decisions. Unwise decisions are excused many times because they're not morally wrong. You know, you think of the foolish and the wise virgins. They were all virgins that were there, but there were some that were foolish and there were some that were wise. And the thing I've come to find is that just in the church, 
We're loving God, we're serving God, we're seeking God, but there's times where we're foolish and there's times where we're wise. And the thing I've, this can be a revelation, I pray it is to you, it is to me, is not asking how close can I get to sin, but asking, is it wise? Is it wisdom? If a teenager were to come to me and say, hey, is it okay if I make out with my girlfriend? I would flip it back on him and say, is it wise? Right? And again, wisdom can look different to everyone. But as we take it to the scriptures, wherever your proclivity is, is wherever your, your bend towards sin is, you've got to know that that which is wise and that which is foolish. And if we're going to be Christians that create breathing room, you have to value wisdom and you have to value prudence. You've got to know that it's not all about breaking limits or just testing the waters, but understanding that scripture puts boundaries up because of love for you, because of care for you, and because you don't have to go out and experience everything and then heal from it and, and deal with it. You can have a testimony of where you don't have to go to hell and back. And I pray this over the next generation coming up, that they don't have to go to hell and back to see how good God is, but they can avoid all of the pitfalls because they valued wisdom. It's putting space between you and your struggle. Wherever your trap is, remove it. Put a cap on it. Give God breathing room so you can walk in holiness and righteousness. Put the margin there. Let there be space between you and temptation. If you'd stand with me this morning, I wanna pray for you. And I want you just to ask the Holy Spirit of where do I need to put margin? And I believe many of you today, you know you need it, but you don't know how to implement it. Again, margin is keeping God first, seeking first the kingdom, and then in his righteousness, and then he will add. So margin comes from a place of keeping him first, and then he brings supply. Then he brings what you have need of. But when we try to create fun and put ourselves in a place of just of having recreation that is outside of him or hasn't you haven't inquired of the Lord, then you set yourself up for pitfalls along the way. What I'm asking you today is to see God and say, in our schedule, in our family, what scripture teaches, where can I add margin with my mind, with my money, and with my morality? As you close your eyes and as you just ask the Holy Spirit that, where do I need space between my limit and my load? Where do I need a repent of? Where I've allowed myself, I have made the decision to be overwork, to run an overdrive, to put more attention to my work than the work that's in my home with my children, on my marriage. Maybe it's not even the decision you make, but you've just been lulled in because of the system or because of your workplace. And you just need to say, Jesus, I wanna value the Sabbath. I wanna honor the Sabbath. I wanna keep you first in my life. I believe as you can make these decisions today, and you can address some of these messes, margin, space will begin to come between your limit and your load. And as you are rested, you'll be open to the presence of God. You'll have silence and solitude and slowness to where you can grow in spiritual maturity. 
Jesus, we want to not be a big church. We want to be a mature church. We want to be a people that aren't in it for the likes and the stage. We don't want to be addicted to the spotlight, but allergic to the altar. Jesus, this is an altar moment of where we lay low before you, where we say as men of our homes, we want to be humble enough. We want to be selfless enough to evaluate to evaluate the heartbeat of our home, of our rhythms, and say, if he is not first, break into it to make him first. Jesus, I thank you that you will give strategy just as you did Joseph. Go and collect this amount so that when, when the time of famine comes, you will have plenty to feed the nation, to feed your own home. You will have supply when no one else does. There is famine in the land. There is famine coming in the land. And we've got to be prepared, first of all, spiritually. We've got to be right with God. We've got to have our hearts open and ready and receptive, yielded and surrendered. Because we don't want a famine in our home, a famine over our children, a famine in our marriages. Jesus, we thank you that you're moving. That you want to touch these parts of our life. We thank you the scripture makes it practical. Spend less than you make. Save, preserve, give. All of these spiritual laws you give us, let us not neglect and let us not give lead way to a spirit of python to choke the life, to choke the seed. Let this be right soil, right seed, and the right season in Jesus' name. Thanks for tuning in to this week's podcast. We pray it encouraged, uplifted, and challenged you become more like Christ. We would love to hear from you. You can email your prayer request to prayer at gpcky.com. Loving our podcast? Take a moment and like and subscribe on our YouTube channel to stay up to date with all of our new content. Thanks for listening.